Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Last week we started to discuss some of our church values. Some of the the things that make us us, if you will. Some of the things that if we want to enter into the places that God is calling us to walk into as a church body, that we have to know how we're getting there. And in order to do so, we need to know what it is that we value. We need to know what it is that God has called us uniquely as a body to go after. And so last week, we started by looking at our first three values, and we're going to continue to do so over the next couple of weeks. But our first value is one that is very important to us, which is why when we talk about our singles gathering, we're talking about from 18 to 99. It's that we are a church that is made up of the generations, and we have a high value for the generations of our church. We are a generational body of believers. The second one that we looked at is that we know deeply the importance of knowing our identity in Christ, knowing who we are in Him. And third, we know the power of transformation, which means that we are not satisfied to stay where we are and where we've been, but that in Christ we are being transformed into His image, into His likeness, into a new identity that we find that has been made possible through the blood of Jesus. And so what we started to do last week is we looked at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and we focused in on verse 2. The first five words of verse 2 say, fixing our eyes on Jesus. I love these words, fixing our eyes on Jesus, because we know that when we begin to fix our eyes, our attention, our focus, and our gaze on Jesus, that it starts to transform our understanding of what's possible. It starts to give us a different perspective of the situations that we're going through because we know that if we walk into a situation with Jesus, that we have the answer that we need, we have the power that we need, we have everything that we could possibly ask for. I I was listening to a message from uh, a pastor that I really like, and he said, you know, sometimes we go into these situations and we look at the enormity of it, and we see what's going on in our world and in our culture and, and all around us, he said, but sometimes we forget that we're not walking into these situations alone. We're walking into them with Jesus. It doesn't matter what we're facing. Yes, these things are real, but we're walking into these places with Jesus the Savior of the world. We have to have that understanding of what this really means to to fix our eyes on Jesus. The thing that I've noticed in looking at this concept of fixing our eyes on Jesus is that when we do so, it's not just to give us confidence to walk in and through the hard situations. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, what starts to happen inside of us is that our perception and our expectations of life start to change. We start to get an expectation of what is to come, and when that happens, there becomes a time of preparation for what we're going to walk into. I think back to um, about five years ago now, when we found out that Jamie was pregnant with my son Caleb. 
it was a it was a journey it was a difficult journey to get to that point and i'll share more about that at a different time but i remember we found the news that uh that jamie was pregnant and the excitement that was in it but immediately following was that feeling of terror because i didn't know what i was doing I knew that I didn't know what I was doing. Jamie was, was pretty good with it, but we started to, to look into what it meant to prepare for an expansion of our family. We bought books, and the only difference about this time period is that I actually read the books. Instead of just you know having them sit around and look good, I actually started to read about what this meant. That was only with Caleb. By the time Ellie came, came around, we were pros already. But I remember there was this expectation, there was this excitement because we were fixing our eyes on something that was to come, but then it led us to do something about it, to, to buy paint, to, to look at the different methods and, and Bradley methods and all these things that are still kind of ingrained in my memory. It's been a little while since then, but there was a preparation that took place. And this is the truth. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, when we start to understand that In him, there is much more than what we had previously known to be true. That in him, there is meant to be dreams that are going to be fulfilled and and impossibilities that are meant to become possible. There are things that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, that should be transformed inside of us. And when that becomes the case, then there is a movement that starts to take place. But can I tell you that the movement, the preparation... And even in the anticipation, it's not always comfortable. Can I tell you that when we have to start to make changes in our lives and start to make adjustments and and we're expanding, that it's not always something that comes without pain? Has anyone ever heard of the term growing pains before? Surprisingly, I've never experienced growing pains. But I do know that they're really tough right? Because there's growth that's taking place. There's a stretching that's taking place. And when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we have to know that at times there's going to be a stretching in the time of preparation. This morning, I want to talk about that a little bit. I don't want to stay there for too long because there's some excitement that I want to move into, but it's important that we recognize that. And so I want to look today at Hebrews chapter 11. And, and I believe that in Hebrews chapter 11, we have this amazing picture of men and women who didn't just set their eyes on what was to come, but then they did something about it. There was this ability to fix their eyes on something that had not yet come to pass. We're going to look at that in a moment, but I, I just want to talk and maybe just review real quick. What does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? There's a few aspects of this, but the first one that I want to look at today is that when we fix our eyes on Jesus, what we're doing is we're looking at the words that he spoke, the life that he lived, and the instructions that he gave us, right? This is a really simple way to fix our eyes on Jesus is to go back to the gospels, to even go further back to the prophecies, to go back to the early church and to see how Jesus lived, what was said about him, and how that actually manifested in the world that we live in. But when we look at the life of Jesus, when we look at the words of Jesus, there's a lot of excitement in them because we read verses like in uh, John chapter 10, verse 28, that says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. To me, that's an amazing truth. That's, that's exciting right there. 
We know that in Jesus, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. It's important that we see the exciting aspects of following after Jesus. It's, it's important that we go into great depth when we read his words, when we read his truth, that those things become a reality to us. But it's equally important that we look at the parts of what he said that were also challenging. The things that don't always give us the warm and fuzzy feelings inside of us. Because very often the things that Jesus said were made or were spoken in order to make us uncomfortable with the status quo. Very often Jesus said certain things, I'm sure, with the expectation that people were not going to always receive it well. Uh, Imagine following Jesus, hearing an amazing message, and then hearing him say with no context whatsoever that if you're going to follow after me, that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Do you think Jesus said that thinking everybody was going to be super excited about it with no context whatsoever? Not having any understanding of communion or even the death, the burial, and the resurrection? There are other times where he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. He goes on to say, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away, for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. These don't give me the warm and fuzzies. I don't know about you. But Jesus was saying there's a higher level of expectation that you're called to walk into when you step into the kingdom. And what he would often do was to draw us into the unknown with the only assurance being that he would be there with us. I say that again? Very often Jesus would call us into the unknown with the only assurance being that he would be there with us. See, the ultimate truth is that a life with Jesus is not just the most amazing gift that has ever been given to mankind in reconciliation, restoration, and a life spent in eternity with him but it was also something that would require everything of us. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. See, this means there are going to be moments that are not always going to make sense in following after Jesus, at least in our natural minds. There are going to be times where we are called to walk down paths to go after destinations that are not clearly illuminated, where the path in front of us and the steps that we're having to take are not always clearly laid out for us. You know, we all want to go after, at least I do, what it says in Isaiah chapter 54, which is, to enlarge your tents, to expand the places of your dwelling. 
to make room for what God is going to do. But Isaiah also says, I want you to expand, to stretch out the cords. I want you to lengthen that which is going to, to be able to uh, give structure and stability to what I'm going to do. Can I tell you that at times when you are lengthening the cords, when you are establishing what is going to be, there is a stretching that is going to occur, that a lot of times there is a tension in that. That it doesn't always feel comfortable. Can anyone say amen to that today? We want the growth, we want the expansion, we want to dream big, but do we recognize that there are times where that's going to actually stretch us? I got a prophetic word a couple months ago. He said, the way that God likes to grow you, Sam, is through stretching you. I'm like, okay, I feel that sometimes. It makes me feel better when I feel the stretching. It makes me understand that God is in it. And that is, that's part of what it is to walk in this journey of faith. Once again, Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to start there in verse 1. For faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence or the assurance or the convictions of things that are not yet seen. The substance of things hoped for is those times where God calls us to do something and he simply says, trust me. Will you trust me? The substance of it is that we have the ability to trust him. The substance is that we don't walk into these situations having to figure it all out. It's not like one of those escape rooms where it's like they stick you in the middle of it and I've never been in one and I told somebody recently I'll never do one. I would just try to break through the sheetrock or whatever it was. I'm the guy in the corn maze that's like, I'm done with this. I just start walking through the corn. That's not, it's not my style. To, to, so, so I get a lot of assurance out of this. It's that God doesn't just throw us in a situation and say, just figure it out. That he goes through the situation with us. That the very situations are actually often meant to raise and to grow a deeper reliance and trust on him to pursue him deeper to learn to hear his voice more clearly to go after what he's calling us to learn through the process so that when we get to the destination we are more equipped so that we are ready for what he is bringing us into when we look at the story of the israelites god didn't bring them into every battle right away but he strengthened them, and, and when they were ready for the battle, he brought them into it. And coming out of the battle, they were more prepared and more equipped. Their faith was stronger. Their, their belief was more concrete. They had a foundational belief that when God said, walk around the city of Jericho seven times in the most unorthodox way to attack a city, that they trusted, believed, and they were obedient, and they saw the walls fall down. See, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the assurance of that which is not yet seen. The conviction. It's the deep compulsion to say yes to God because we know that He is true. We know that what He has said is true. We know that if He said it, He's going to do it. And so out of that understanding and that courage that comes from knowing this truth, we are then willing to do the things that don't make sense that don't feel good in the moment. And it's out of this place of trust, it's out of this place of faith, 
that we also start to realize that we have the ability to please God. Verse 6 says that, And without faith it's impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We have the ability to bring joy to the heart of God simply by trusting in Him. You see, faith is what unlocks all that has been made possible to us through the person of Jesus. Knowing that He is who He said that He is, and once again, that He'll do what He said that He would do. But the thing about faith is that it is not enough to just believe, there is also an action that is required. James tells us this in chapter 2, verse 17, that faith without works is dead. Faith connects us with the Creator, which means that the manifestation of this connection is a tangible effect and reality that is meant to be felt, seen, and experienced on the world that we live in. The manifestation of our belief in God is meant to produce a result that is actually seen and felt and experienced, not just in the church, but in the communities that we live in. In our families, in our world, in the places that we walk into, our faith in God is meant to give us a greater expectation, to prepare us, to equip us, but then to bring about a result. There is an action that is required in this place of faith. And a good starting place is to understand that when we talk about faith, we're talking about putting our trust and belief in something that is actually already accomplished. Understanding that it's already done, meaning that our obedience is simply a confirmation of his finished work. Faith is the confirmation of the finished work of Jesus. I'll give you an example. There are a few times in the last weeks where I've turned to somebody on our team and I've said to them, hey, can you go do this thing? And you want to know my favorite response even more than yes? It's, it's already done. It's already done. I ask the question and the response is, it's already done. The confirmation of what I asked for is so amazing when it's already been taken care of. Do you know that when we walk in faith, we are walking in the confirmation of what Jesus has already made possible? We have to have this understanding because sometimes we think about just the the, the difficulty of the journey and the obedience and what it's going to cost us. And yes, it is true to make it happen on the earth. There is action that's necessary. But do you know that we're just reflecting a reality that is already present in heaven? I think back to the history of our church. Since I've come into this position and and as I was in the candidate process, I really wanted to learn more about Faith Assembly of God. Who we are, where we've come from, the men and women that have gone before us, the, the history that is in this church, in this body, in this gathering. 
I've taken the time to look back to the extent that I can, and and I just want to bring you in on a little bit of the history here today. Uh, We have a timeline that we can put up here just to give you some understanding of some of the specific events that have took place in the history of our church. Some of the results of faith that was not just believed in, but the actions that were then walked in, the actions that were taken in order to see the reality of what God wanted to do. In 1935, Adelaide and Irene White, Theodore Trot, and Reverend Henry Nicolaisen met in the White's home and prayed for a move of the Spirit in Poughkeepsie. And out of that, a church by the name of Faith Pentecostal Church was birthed. 88 years ago. 88 years ago, God impressed it on the hearts of these men and women to begin this church that we are now a part of here today. Now the truth is, I don't have the ability to go back and to talk to these individuals. I don't know what this journey of faith looked like for them. I don't know the the sacrifices that needed to be made to begin this church, but I do know that there were acts of faith that were taken. I do know that there were steps that they had to walk in in order to be obedient to what God had called them to. I know that there were others that went with Pastor Nicolaisen and Fern Strength and John Ward and Marvin Yost and Harry Jackson, Jackson who were pastors of this church. I'm so privileged to know the Elliott family, to know Dave Elliott and the son of Ira Elliott, Reverend Ira Elliott, who was a pastor here in 1956. I've looked back and I saw that under his leadership, the name of the church changed from Faith Pentecostal Church to Faith Assembly of God. I see the steps of faith that were taken along the way. I see that Pastor Elliot was then succeeded by Pastor Ralph Midget and then Pastor Damiani, whom I did have the privilege to know. As a young boy, getting yelled at for jumping through the hole in the fence at the old campus. That wasn't my only interaction with him, but as a second grader, it was pretty notable. I didn't make the hole for the record. Mrs. Bear will attest to that. Hopefully. I just went through it. I knew Betty Damiani, his wife, who founded the school, Melody Land Nursery School, and then also going into Faith Christian Academy. I have a little bit of the understanding of, of what that looked like. Apparently, as a kid, I was present at you know, the, the building of Spackenkill and, and the campus that we had over there. I know of Pastor Sid Griffith and, of course, Pastor Jones, who I had the privilege to serve under for for six years, whose life and ministry touched so many lives that are present in this room here today. The fact that we stand here in this building as a result of the vision and the faith that was pursued by Pastor Jones. The fact that we have a high school and the many lives that have been touched and impacted by that vision. And although we'll never fully know the great depth to which these men and women along the way invested in this community, I do know this for certain. There was faith and there was action as a result of it. There were steps of faith and deep trust in God that brought us to where we are today. 
We talk about this a lot, and we're going to always continue to talk about it. We need to honor the past and those who have gone before us who have made it possible for us to stand where we stand today, to be able to continue to build on their faith and their journey. You see, I also know this to be true, though, that if we are going to be obedient to where God is calling us to go, that we have to be continuing to walk in faith and obedience to what he's called us to walk into. It's going to require steps of faith. And sometimes when we take these steps of faith, depending on where we are, we feel like these steps are either too big or too small. That they're happening too fast or they're happening too slow. That they're too grandiose or they're too simple. But wherever we fit on this spectrum, here's the important thing. That we are following after what God is calling us to do in faith that we are continually seeking his face, that we are prayerful for where he is leading us, that we walk in the discernment and the wisdom that he makes so readily available to us as we step forward into what he's called us to do. This has been true of our church, and this was certainly true of the men and women in Hebrews chapter 11. We look at the story of Noah in verse 7, building an ark where there was no rain and no water building a giant ship between 20 and 40 years it took him to do this in a land where he would have been mocked and ridiculed. I don't know about you. I don't know if I have the the backbone to be mocked and ridiculed as the crazy person for 40 years. Hopefully I would though, if that's what I was called to. We look at the story of Abraham and Sarah in verse 8. Verse 8 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He went out not knowing where he was going. This to me is such an incredible picture of faith. Abraham, I want you to go out of your homeland and I want you to go into this new place. Okay, God, where are we going? Well, I'm going to let you know when we get there. I'm going to let you know when we get there. Do you trust me? I feel like a few of us would have a few follow-up questions for that. How's the school system? What are the taxes like? What's the political climate of the area that we're going into? We, We would need some of these boxes to be checked before we said yes, and yet Abraham says, yes, God, I trust you. I'm going to leave everything that I know because I'm going to follow after you. Verse 9 says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Where did Abraham have his eyes fixed? He had him fixed on a city whose foundation and builder was God. But can I tell you where his eyes were actually fixed? On Jesus, the chief cornerstone, the foundation. He was not knowing that he was looking at Jesus, but when he was looking forward into his offspring, he was actually seeing Jesus, the Savior of the world, that would come as a result of his obedience, at least in his line. He had his eyes fixed on Jesus. But first, there was this promise of who he was supposed to be and what he was meant to walk into that hadn't been fulfilled. You see, there was this promise of becoming the father of many nations. 
But the only problem is that he had no children. Do you know his name, Abram, actually meant exalted father? Can you imagine going through decades of life being called the exalted father and yet having no children? Seems like it would have been a little bit difficult. Yet he continued in faith. Verse 11 says, By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful to, who had God had, to what God had promised, to who had promised. Where were Sarah's eyes fixed? They were fixed on God. They were fixed on Jesus. Therefore, from one man as good as dead, there were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Can we just imagine what it would have been like for Sarah at 90 years old and Abraham, Abraham at 100 years old still waiting on the promise? And yet walking in the faith to believe, to continue to believe in spite of what was physically impossible. It's out of these, this story, though, that we see in Genesis chapter 18, verse 14, where it says, Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. You see, there was faith that was required in this, but it did not come without discomfort. It didn't come without the need for change. It, it didn't come out of a place of, of everything making sense in the moment. Yet Abraham walked in faith, and as we said a couple of weeks ago, Abraham is known as the father of faith, which means that as his descendants through Jesus being grafted into the lineage of Christ, his faith is now our faith, that we have the ability to walk in great faith. And so the question I ask today is, what does this mean for your life today? What does this calling of faith look like for you? What is God calling you to walk in in the places that seem uncertain, unknown, that seem a little bit cloudy, that seem a little bit vague? What are the things that God has for you in the midst of your journey? Can I tell you that there is something, that there is something that He has spoken, and He's calling us to walk in the faith to discover and to uncover what He has said? My next question is, what does this mean for us as a church? What does this mean for this body of believers who follows in the lineage of so many men and women who have gone before us to lay the foundations for what we're walking in? You see, this question is something that I've been asking for quite a while. When I look at the story of Abraham and Sarah, I look in chapter 17 and just look at verse 4 today. He said, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. He says, This is the promise that I'm making you, but along with this promise, there's going to be a change in your identity. The next section of verses, which we won't get into today, talks about the circumcision. Talk about discomfort. Talk about an area where there's something being cut off that is not comfortable. There is a lot of significance in this. But then we continue in verse 15, and God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai any longer, but Sarah shall be her name. 
I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. God can do whatever he wants to do. He's not limited in any way. He chooses to use us as mankind to accomplish his will on earth. But also, what we see in this story is a principle which is that very often if God is calling us to walk into something, he really needs to know that we are walking in the right identity. This was true with Abraham and Sarah. It was true when Jacob became Israel. It was true when Saul of Tarsus became Paul. That God's change and purpose for their lives never changed. He, he knew what it was from the very beginning. His word over their life didn't change. It was steady all the way through the journey. But yet there came a point in time where he needed them to be able to see the new identity. Where he needed them to be able to know that their identity mattered. That what had come before was significant. It was important. It was valuable. It needed to be done to bring them to the place that they were. And it needed to be honored. But that he was calling them into a season. You see, Abram means exalted father, as I said. But Abraham means the father of many nations. Verse 5 says, No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Not that I'm going to make you a father of many nations. That I have made you a father of many nations. So God had already established it. Once again, this was just a commitment. It was, it was a, a level of, um, of being able to say this is what God had done. This was that level of confirmation to what God had already spoken. He then looks at Sarah and says, your name is no longer Sarai, which means contentious and quarrelsome, but now your name is going to mean princess. You see, there was an upgrade in both of these situations, not because his purpose had changed, but because he needed them to see their purpose in their identity. As I said, this is a question that I've been asking on a regular basis. God, where are you bringing us? What is your vision and purpose for us as a church? It's a question that I began to ask before I even stepped into this position. Even before that, I knew that I was going to be able to be nominated as pastor. And there was a question that I asked about where it is that we were called to go. And in doing so, there was this word that kept coming up in my mind and in my spirit. There was this word that kept coming up over and over again. And I'm just going to give you this brief story. I went to this church service in November of 2021. And the pastor at that time called me out and he said, Sam, I want to give you a word. And I just want to read a portion of this word here today. He said, Sam, this place that we are in is called the gathering. You've come to the gathering and I see that it is for a gathering. I, the Lord, am saying that I'm going to anoint you, Sam, and I'm also going to anoint you for a gathering of people and indeed for a church. But it's also for a business community that's involved in building things. He continued to speak to a mantle. He continued to speak a word over Jamie, my wife. He said there was going to be a freedom that was going to come as a result of it. That there was going to be a refusal to settle for the status quo. And that there was going to be a fire that was going to come. Now, 
I share this today not in any way to look at me, but to understand that there was something that God was confirming in my heart before the process of transition had even begun. There was something that God was speaking to me and something that he was confirming in my heart. And there was this word that continued to come up, which was gathering, 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 the gathering. And, and I said, what does this mean? And, and I went back and I looked and I, I saw in Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, that the gathering is part of this word called ecclesia or ecclesia where jesus looks to peter and says blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and i tell you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church my ecclesia and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it this word ecclesia was not uh, a word that came out of Jewish tradition. It wasn't a Hebrew word. It was a Greek word that actually had more of political ramifications. It was a Greek word that meant the called out ones. And it pointed to a gathering of believers in their kingdom, not necessarily the kingdom of God, that were responsible for declaring war, military strategy, and elections. It had the final say on legislation and the right to hold their leaders accountable. That's what an ecclesia was. And this is the word that Jesus uses to describe his body, the body of Christ, and the church that would go forward. The ecclesia was a gathering together of those who were called out to represent a kingdom. It was a gathering of those whose purpose was to ensure that the values that they held were effectively lived out in their communities. And to me, this very closely matches what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, where he calls us the salt and the light. That we are the salt of the earth, that we are the light of the world. That we are not meant to be inconspicuous hidden and buried away but we are meant to have an influence once again a manifestation of the faith inside of us on the world around us it's my belief that it's no accident that from 1986 when we moved to spack and kill to moving to this location that we have been a church that has been set on a hill that we have been placed in a location to exemplify the influence that we are meant to have on our community and the world around us that we are meant to be the light, that we are meant to be a body who is meant to serve our community, to love our community, and to bring them to a greater understanding of their true identity in Jesus. You see, we are called to be the called out ones, the ones that have been called out from death into life, and the ones who know our purpose. Secondly, as a gathering, we are called not just to gather together, but to be obedient to what Jesus called us to do. Matthew chapter 9, verse 37 and 38 says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to gather his harvest. We are not just meant to be a gathering of believers that come together to have church. We are meant to be those that understand the Great Commission to go out to make disciples of all nations to bring the good news of Jesus and to gather men and women into the kingdom. Maybe one or two amens. We are called to gather 
the world around us. We are called to be the examples, the, the imitation of Christ on the earth, walking in His power so that we can see men and women come into their God-given destiny and identity. I, I know there was a time change last night. I, I get it. But can I tell you, this is our purpose. That we can't stop short with just gathering together, that we are called to go out and to gather. All right, we're getting someplace now. See, we are called to be those who gather and know our identity, but we're called to gather to bring others into their identity as well. And it's with this in mind that I'm really excited to reveal an addition to the name of our church here today that honors who we are and where we're going. The gathering at Faith Assembly. Now I told you a little bit about what the gathering means, but I want to tell you that this is simply an addition. It's building on the foundation of what has already been set in place by the men and women who have gone before us. It's building on the history. It's building on the lineage. It's building on the sacrifice that has been made by so many from Faith Pentecostal Church to Faith Assembly to the gathering at Faith Assembly. To understand that we are called to be a gathering of believers, to understand that we are called to be those who would go out and to fulfill our mission and our purpose. And while this is an addition to our name. We are going to be having an official vote on April 30th at our business meeting to be able to uh, incorporate this into our constitution. But this to me is something that is very specific because as we talked about identity, it's so important that we know who we are and who we're called to be and what we're called to go after. A gathering who is going after to gather the kingdom. Now, I just want to just quickly explain just a little bit about this because there's a logo that's attached to this and I think it's important that I just explain a little bit about what this means. It's fun to me because every time someone sees this logo for the first time, they say something a little bit different than what I had heard before. There's a new revelation that comes, if you will. And so there are a couple of things that this means. Number one, it is a gathering together in pursuit of what is God has called us after. It's a, it's a pursuit of Christ, and the three becoming one is the picture of completion. Three is a number of completion, just like seven is. It's wholeness, and it's a gathering together going towards what God has for us. Number two, it represents three being the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who knows that we have to know and identify the various aspects of how God has represented himself to us as humanity. That we are meant to walk in the fear and the awe of God our Father, the creator of the universe. That we are meant to understand the redemption and the reconciliation that has been brought to us through the person of Jesus our Savior. And finally, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to go after what he's called us to do. And finally, and this is one that I'm really excited about, it speaks to the partnership of the generations. To me, when I look at this, I see that there are three levels of this. The first one being that we are honoring our past and where we come from. That we are honoring who we are and where we've come from. That we are also equipping the present. 
and that we are also empowering the future of what is to come, the partnership of the generations. And also a few people saw mountains and said we live in the Hudson Valley, so that works too. But I truly am very excited, and I know that with any potential change, that sometimes it's not always the the easiest, and sometimes it, it requires a little extra faith inside of us for where God is bringing us, but I am truly prayerful, hopeful, and expectant for what God is going to do in our church. He was going to do it anyway. But I believe that there is an identity that he is calling us into to be aware of what he's doing right now.